So for me, if I just go into attachment, when we become attached to a person, it comes with a whole range of toxic traits that are attached to that feeling. One being possession. We think that being in relationship with someone is owning that person. Another is control. So controlling who that person is, what they do, who they see. So it all feeds into a very narcissistic characteristic. Whereas when it comes to love, I really feel you could use the biblical sense of love. Love is gentle, love is patient, love is kind, mm. love does not anger. But for me to distill it into the three things that I look for in a romantic partnership or the three things that are most important to me are freedom, mm. safety, and growth. Welcome back to another episode of Inside Your Head. I'm your host, Kristal Roots, clinical psychologist and founder of Psych Central South Africa. I want to take a moment to just thank each and every person who has been supporting this podcast and sharing your love with us, giving us your thoughts and just supporting um, what we're doing. Today, I'm chatting to Devin Bruff about relationships. We want to discuss things like toxic relationships, how to identify toxic traits or red flags in yourself, dealing with breakups, abandonment, the list goes on. Let me just introduce Devin to you guys so that you know a little bit about him. Devin is a transformation powerhouse who has a contagious energy and a passionate zest for life. As an author, speaker, and coach, he has committed his purpose to helping people to get unstuck, inspiring them to transform their life with focus on achieving breakthroughs in the areas of mindset and relationships. A successful serial, serial entrepreneur across media and luxury property sectors, Devin knows what it's like to feel stuck. He turned his life around from battling the crippling effects of alcoholism and addiction, hating the man he saw in the mirror, to living a life full of purpose, love, and serving others through his experiences. You can reach or, or follow Devin on his social media handle at DevonBruffSA. Lovely. Such Devin. a nice introduction. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for taking the time. I'm really excited. I feel like this is going to be so helpful for so many people. Absolutely. Um, so thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Devin, let's just start with, so there's a, a lot of people that talk about toxic relationships um, or what uh, this, this idea of something's toxic. From your perspective, what does that mean? So just to take a bit of a step back, the challenge that we have when it comes to love and relationships, especially romantic relationships, is that nobody really teaches us about love. It's something mm -hmm. that we learn through observation and experience. Mm -hmm. But what happens if what we observe and what we experience is toxic? We tend to formulate the internal belief or the subconscious belief that that toxic love is what love should be. Mm. And unless we become aware of the patterns, unless we then can break the pattern and replace it with a more healthy pattern, we become stuck in that cycle. So firstly, it's understanding that we're, we, we're not born to know what love is, how to love what's healthy. And often if we've grown up in a household where maybe we grew up with an alcoholic parent or parents who were abusive towards each other, whether that's physically, emotionally or verbally abusive, we tend to think that that is how love should be. And I think a lot of work needs to be done to understand what is toxic, what is healthy, and to determine also what is love and what is attachment. Because mm. I feel a lot of people confuse the mm. two. I think it's so important what you're saying, Devin, and, and we'll touch now on the difference between love and attachment. But I, I hear so many of my clients sitting with the dilemma of, 
well, this person is uh, like at least not abusing me or at least they're not cheating on me. And so that must mean that that's a healthy relationship. And that goes back to what you're saying, kind of this blueprint that we have that we observed from our environment that mm. we use that, but we also use that to, to determine what we don't want. And that's not always healthy either. Absolutely. And I think the problem with that is we're so busy picking up breadcrumbs off the floor that we forget that a healthy love should be like a five-course feast. So mm. the breadcrumbs crumbs being that bare minimum that somebody is giving, or at least they're not physically abusing me, but they're not communicating. They're stonewalling, potentially mm. gaslighting, or you're going through a whole range of emotions and you just feel like you need to self-abandon in order to keep that person's love. You have to be somebody that you're not in order to keep in romantic partnership with them. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a bit about love and attachment because I think that that's very significant that you're bringing that up. What's your thoughts about it? So for me, if I just go into attachment, when we become attached to a person, it comes with a whole range of toxic traits that are attached to that feeling. One being possession. We think that being in relationship with someone is owning that person. Another is control. So controlling who that person is, what they do, who they see. So it all feeds into a very narcissistic characteristic. Whereas when it comes to love, I really feel you could use the biblical sense of love. Love is gentle. Love is patient. Love is mm. kind. Love does not anger. But for me to distill it into the three things that I look for in a romantic partnership or the three things that are most important to me are freedom, mm -hmm. safety, and growth. And when I talk about freedom, I mean freedom to be an individual, to be a whole independent human being where there's unconditional acceptance. Mm -hmm. I accept you as you are. I don't need to change you or mold you into a version that I want you to be in order to keep my love. The second, safety, feeling safe to be vulnerable, safe to open up and communicate because I really feel communication is everything mm. in a relationship. Absolutely. There are a lot of married people who will message me on Instagram, husbands and wives who have an issue that they want to discuss. Mm. And I usually say this is a conversation you should be having with your partner. And when they say they can't have this conversation, I said, well, then there is no partnership. Because if you're scared that your partner is going to erupt or that they're going to react in a toxic way, then there is no space to be vulnerable or communicate. Mm. So freedom, safety and growth. Mm. So growth being that I don't expect you to be the same person and I'm going to nudge you closer to expanding, evolving and stepping into your purpose and just embracing this constant of change. So changing, evolving, growing, which is very important. Mm -hmm. I think it's so significant what you're saying, Devin, because I think the safety and growth often goes hand in hand. A, a lot of people will say, but you're not the same person anymore. And, and that scares that person because it's scary to not know will this new version still mm. need me will they still want to spend time with me um what does this mean for the relationship and so i think a lot of times people are scared to grow themselves because it's it, it might feel like the relationship can only exist if we are exactly who we are when we met but if you think about how your brain works your brain's primary function is to keep you safe mm. and keeping you safe means keeping you in the familiar yeah. so sometimes growth is scary and it requires courage because mm. change your brain does not like change mm. so if you've been depressed or anxious for most of your life your brain actually doesn't want you to be happy because it's this unknown feeling and unknown equates to 
danger. It's safer to be stuck in the familiar. So I think sometimes when one person doesn't want to grow, is resisting change, that is when they maybe are a bit scared of their partner growing because they understand this person could outgrow me. Mm. For men in particular, I feel that it's my role in a relationship to create a safe space where my partner feels like they can go out into the world and do and be and expand and feel safe that they can come home to a support structure that doesn't judge, uh, that doesn't look down on what they're doing. And mm. even if they do make mistakes, that there is compassion that we are human. Mm. And self-compassion is a big thing. Being your own best friend, but also holding space for somebody else to make mistakes, to be perfectly imperfect, because that's how we grow. What about though, and, and like, I, I, I feel like I'm hopping just because there's so many different things that I want to discuss. But with what you just said, as a man in the relationship, you want to create that sense of safety. And that's obviously in, in a hetero, heterosexual relationship. Sure. I'm wondering, what does that look like for woman how does a, a woman create safety for her partner or what does that look like in a homosexual relationship where there's now there's not a okay you need to be the safety and i'm uh, like i'm the the different role i think that the roles can be much more fluid sometimes so i'm just curious about the opposite where we we kind of go the gender role mm. what does that safety also look like for men. I love that question because it's very important that we're right now transitioning from a very toxic masculine society into mm. men who want to embrace their divine masculinity but often don't know how. Mm. I've had situations where with past partners I show a vulnerable side whether that's sharing something deep, crying and it actually turns them off. Seeing a man cry for them push them away. Now it was a stereotypical girl from Pretoria where grown men don't cry. <laughs> yeah. So that, that actually confused her a bit and mm. it wasn't very attractive. And she was quite open to say that actually pushed me away from you. Mm. So creating safety for men is important because if we take a step back, if you think about when we grew up in a village hundreds of years ago, the women would all stay home in the village. They'd look after the kids. They'd do the cooking. Mm. They were all together. So they used to communicate all the time. The men were out in the bush, in the felt, hunting. They were quiet. They were alone. So men by nature are not used to opening up. Often in toxic masculinity, there's this competition. Who is doing better? Who's earning more? Who's driving the best, wearing the best? So there's so much competition amongst men that we haven't yet become comfortable or that I'm generalizing, but yes. in general, we're not comfortable opening up to each other about the stuff that is deep or the mm -hmm. stuff that really is affecting us, whether it's financial burdens. A man will never tell another man I'm actually struggling financially. Mm -hmm. And then often coming home, we have this expectation that, our manlyhood is linked to being a provider. So if we are struggling financially, we're definitely not going to share that with our partner. Mm. So we suffer in silence. A lot of our manhood is linked to our sexuality. And there's a lot of anxiety that men have around sex because mm. we feel like if we don't perform, if we're not the best they've had, then they're going to leave us for somebody else. So there's so many pressures that men deal with. And I think it's equally the responsibility men and women to create that safe space. Mm -hmm. And in that we both embrace masculine and feminine energies. So mm -hmm. even in um, a non-heterosexual partnership, 
each person at different times will embrace a more feminine energy or a more masculine yeah. energy. And we have to become not chameleons, but we've got to be able to balance the two energies. So if we see that our male partner is having a bit of a hard day, it's stepping into a stronger role where we can mm. be a support structure and then softening and creating a space where we can be vulnerable. I think it, it just reminds me of what you said earlier about communication because we also can't assume what safety looks like for everyone. And so it's so important to check with your partner, but also maybe to check with yourself to understand what do I need in order to feel safe and how do I communicate that? Absolutely. Yeah. In, in my past relationships, Friday night is bath night. Mm -hmm. And in the bath, because you're naked, you're exposed, a nice lush bath bomb, candles, it sets the scene full vulnerability it becomes a yeah. special moment and i generally will ask my partners in that time how could i love you better mm. or what have i done how have i not been meeting the bar or how have i not mm. been living up to what you do expect in a mm. romantic partner but as men we also need to take charge and communicate and kind of set expectations because mm. the biggest killer in relationship is unspoken expectations yes. which then leads to resentment and sometimes especially if you've dated someone for a long time mm. you just expect them to know mm. you'll be thinking a thought you don't communicate it but you expect your partner to know and then you'll hold resentment or be disappointed that they can't pick up what it is that you want yeah Devin, i, I want to direct our conversation to the whole identifying red flags in yourself um out of on our social media, that's the one thing that everyone was saying they want to know more about. So if we think about the, the, the three elements that you just mentioned in relationships, that's really important. Um, what are some of the, the red flags that you think people need to be aware of that can actually compromise the safety, the growth? Um, I can't remember now the third I love one. That. Um, yeah. So I think the biggest red flag for yourself to identify is any time that you are self-abandoning. So if I have to abandon who I am to people please you in order to keep your love, then that it, that is probably the most toxic red flag. Yeah. Because when we self-abandon, we've become so used to, again, go back to childhood. Uh, up until the age of two, you're encouraged to stand up and make noise and talk. Yeah. And then from the age of two, it's like, okay, now you've got to shut up and sit down. So it's inherent in us that first we've got to please our father or our mother. And mom will always say, be a good boy or be a good girl or mm -hmm. dad will get upset. So we're always threatened with love being withdrawn. Yeah. Then we get to school and now it's a teacher that we've got to please. So we inherently are programmed to need to be perfect. And what we're mm -hmm. taught at a young age is who you are is not enough. You've got to be a version of yourself that mom and dad want and now that your teacher wants in order to be deserving of love. Mm -hmm. And then we carry that into adulthood where we feel sometimes that we can't communicate because what happens if that creates a fight? Or And I think self-abandonment is the biggest red flag when you feel like you can't set boundaries, when you can't communicate. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is when we're leaning more towards attachment versus yes. love. So when we feel like we need to change a partner or control our partner or where it's linked now to possessing that person mm -hmm. because I use something simple if you're dating someone who's attractive other people are going to find them attractive you mm. can't get upset at the fact that other people are still going to show affirmation and validation towards mm. your partner it's what your partner does with it but if it's triggering jealousy if it's triggering anything that makes you think that you own this person that then becomes a bit of a problem mm. 
I think control though is such a big thing in relationships. Um, and, and it's interesting. Like, I think we need to chat about it a bit more because mm. I think that there's the overt control where someone is kind of they're jealous and they're going, you're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to speak to these people. You're not allowed to, um, go out with your friends or whatever. But then there's also the control through maybe almost pleasing where if I please my partner enough, and I make sure that I give them everything that they want, then I'm I'm controlling the outcome of, I'm, I'm not giving them the option to almost disappoint me or I'm not giving them the option of um, doing something that I'm not going to approve of because I'm setting everything up in a way that it's already just perfect and they just need to, Mm. to be able to give me my needs. It's almost like you are buying that person's love and you're buying yeah. that person's love. You've got the subconscious belief that love should involve hard work mm. and love shouldn't really. I really believe that a love that is meant for you should flow. And a lot of people said, even this last week, I was speaking with someone and she said, no, I've got to fight for this relationship. This person was checking out and saying, look, I'm not ready. Mm. And at the moment that someone tells you that they're not ready, for a romantic relationship and you pursue them regardless in that moment that you decide to still pursue them you have just self-abandoned yourself mm. so um i think it's really important that we don't have the subconscious belief that we've got to earn somebody's love one thing i had to work through as an addict alcoholic i had no level of self-worth i had a huge self-esteem it's a typical narcissistic tendency i thought i was the shit mm. but I had no self-worth and mm. I knew I had very, very little to give into a relationship. So I would make sure that I started a business with my partner because now financially I can control them mm. or now I'm creating so much value in the area of their finances that they're not going to leave me. And then I'd be their coach and their mentor and I'd be their in-house psychologist. So now I thought that I was buying this person's love because I didn't feel like I was deserving and worthy. Mm. I, I didn't feel like I was enough. Mm. And what's very important is the more we work on our level of self-worth and knowing that you're worthy deserving and enough just for the fact that you are not because you can do anything for a person i think that's really important because mm -hmm. a lot of people feel stuck and they can't leave a relationship because they feel what if i never find better so they'll submit to picking the crumbs off the floor then closing that door moving on knowing that there is a feast there that they don't have to work for somebody's mm. love and then it should be freely given it should be a free exchange but so does that mean if someone's now listening and they're realizing actually that's one of my toxic traits i i control my partner or i try and control them does that mean they need to focus on their self-worth or what do they do with that how do you work on that I think it's a three-step process. The one mm. is awareness because you can't fix what you can't see. Mm. So the first is becoming aware of the pattern. And again, as humans, we operate in patterns and cycles. So becoming aware of the pattern. Number two is breaking the pattern. So how do you stop doing what you've been doing in order to reclaim who you are? And the third part of the process is now replacing that toxic pattern with something that's healthier. So when it comes to people-pleasing, say no when you want to say no don't yeah. just be a yes person regardless if it if somebody asks you your romantic partner asks you can you please do this for me because they know you're always going to say yes say look it actually doesn't it's it's not convenient for me i actually can't 
pick up this or do that for you. I've got a lot on my plate at the moment. Mm -hmm. So it's just starting to put in boundaries. It's starting to understand that you are equally as important as the other person. Because what happens when you've got a low sense of self-worth, you put another person on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. And when that person's on a pedestal, you'll just say yes or no, sir, two bags full, sir. And this is for men and women. It can yeah. go both sides. I think that it's so important that you're mentioning that because a lot of people automatically assume there's just the stereotype in, in society that the narcissist in the relationship is the male and the, the pleaser is the, is the woman. And it's not the case. Not at all. It can be either way. But I think that people fall into this trap of, you'll even hear when someone s speaks about a narcissist, they'll be like, oh, he did this. That will be the example when that's not necessarily... The reality. Absolutely. And I think uh, at any time, like this N-word is thrown around a lot. There's a big difference between a clinical narcissist, yeah. which is sociopathic tendencies, and just having narcissistic tendencies. Mm. And I think all of us have slight narcissistic tendencies mm. in different areas of life. A CEO will be slightly narcissistic in the boardroom, but then when he comes home, will embrace a more em uh, an empath point of view yeah. and I think both of them come from the abandonment wound mm. Narciss narcissism mm. is a control mechanism to make sure that this person I'm going to control them and they're going to do everything for me so that they don't leave and the same for an empath they feel like just giving so narcissist is take and empath is always give yeah. and both of them it's trying to prevent the biggest fear the fear of abandonment from taking place mm. Mm. Yeah, the, the, the biggest threat of what we've spoken about is the, the theme of self-abandonment and avoiding abandonment and, and just our fear. And I think that it's, it's so debilitating being stuck in that mindset of, but I'm not going to be able to survive this, whether you are the narcissist or the pleaser. Absolutely. And I think um, especially when people go through breakups, it, it does feel like your world is coming to an end and uh, that everybody's pain is real for them. But mm. I want to encourage the listeners to go think of every time in your life when you thought you wouldn't make it. And if you're listening to this, guess what? You made it. Mm. And you're going to make it through again and again and again. And we're very resilient as people. And sure, breakups really suck, but it also sucks to stay su stuck somewhere that mm. you shouldn't be. That mm. is painful. It's painful not growing. It's painful having to deal with abuse. It's painful not being able to communicate with a romantic partner. And this is something men and women need to realize. If your partner doesn't feel safe, they're not going to open up in all their sensuality and sexuality. I really believe it's first an emotional connection, a spiritual mm. connection, and then a physical connection. So it's all good having a partner that you've been dating for multiple years. But if that person doesn't inherently feel safe, the sensuality is not going to come out. They're not going to give their all to you in the bedroom or in other ways. And it's not going to deepen the connection. Mm. But so, Devin, um, I'm, I'm thinking now about the realizing, okay, this is what I'm doing. And, and I think that the awareness is something that's a big part of it. But how do we distinguish between when is it something that I need to work on and when is it something that I can actually work, work out in this relationship? How do we know that? It's difficult. And I think every single relationship is different. We can mm -hmm. have set rules and we can say, do this, don't do that. But every single person is going to have a different experience in their own relationship. For me, it starts becoming... You know, it's, it's you ask, when is the time to leave? When do you throw in the towel? Like, sure, you've got to do the work. But the second that it 
moves from love to disrespect. I feel love is respect. Respect yeah. is love. And the second that I'm being disrespected, the second that two adults are calling each other's names, the second that there is abuse, the second that there mm. is betrayal of any form, it becomes quite difficult to work through those, mm. those problems. And when you can't, when you have an inability of setting boundaries or when those boundaries constantly get tested, you're with somebody who doesn't respect fundamentally who you are as an individual. And that is when it's time to leave. Whenever it's compromising your own level of self-worth and what you see when you're looking back in the mirror that's because that's the most important relationship mm. the relationship i have with me is always my number one priority yeah my partner will always be number two or number three because for me it's god god is number one i'm number two and my partner is number mm. three because you're not responsible for my happiness i'm responsible for my happiness mm. so unless i'm a full whole person i've got nothing to give i'm pouring from an empty cup so I think the second that it compromises the relationship that you have with you, that is when action steps need mm. to be taken. And if a person is not willing to look at their stuff, if you're wanting to work on your relationship and another partner is just totally um, unaware and unexcited to do any of the work, then you know you're, you're pushing the rock up the hill mm. all by yourself. Mm. I do wonder though if a lot of people actually stay in relationships because – we don't realize that it's actually comfortable. It, as you said earlier, that familiar familiarity where if you decide to leave, you actually have to work on yourself. And so it's often also easier to almost be the victim and be like, this person's abusing me or they, they have the toxic traits, but I'm too scared to leave. And if I say easy, it's not in a, in a disregarding it. Like mm. it's obviously very tough, but it, it's more, it, it causes less emotional distress to a certain extent for some people because the contrary of changing and involving and taking that responsibility can be really, really overwhelming. Absolutely. And then an, another layer I want to add is for many women, it becomes fi a financial consideration. Mm. So now they've stopped working. They've people pleased. They want it to be just a the mother or just look after the household. So now systematically the partner, and again, man or woman, but one mm. of the partners will systematically take away your independence. Now mm. you're not earning an income anymore. You're reliant on that other person for your car payment, for your medical aid, for stuff to come off. So now it becomes almost impossible to leave mm. because the, the consequences are so severe that you would rather stick it out in a relationship that doesn't serve you, that doesn't fill your heart. And slowly you start to wither away and day by by day week by week month by month you begin to lose yourself mm. and that's the ultimate self-abandonment so one is the comfort of staying stuck where you are because then you don't have to change but the second layer is a financial layer could also be friendship circles you love your friends so you don't want to lose the friends through a breakup it could be children and mm. a lot of couples are unhappily married but they have a narrative when the kids reach 18 we're going to divorce so now the kids are growing up in a household where there is no love so they themselves are observing toxic patterns and it would mm. be better off if the parents just sat together and said hey as romantic partners we've outgrown each other and we're not working mm. and this is why for me marriage is marriage is a beautiful idea but we make a promise a forever promise at a specific age in our life sometimes in our teens when people get married when they're 18 or 19 yeah. sometimes our early 20s we don't even know who we are mm. so we don't know who we're going to be when we're 30 or 40 and sometimes we just outgrow the other person or we're not the same person we were when we made that promise to mm. start mm. that makes me think a bit about also just breakups because I, I i can hear how 
like I think it's so hard for people to be in this mindset that you're in of owning your your own traits of being aware of it and being able to to end a relationship in that mature mm. manner of listen this is this is where we're ending it because we're choosing to not continue to do this to each other um how do how can people approach breakups do you think I love this question and I need to say that I am best friends with two of my exes. Chelsea, who I was engaged to 10 years ago, is like mm -hmm. a sister to me today. And there's not a single day that I don't speak to Chelsea and Jade. Jade is my most recent partner, um, my ex-girlfriend, and we are best friends. And those two girls, Chelsea and Jade, there's not a single day that passes that I don't have an interaction with them. And they're such a source of love in my life. And I That's think amazing. it depends. Everybody has their own rock bottom mm -hmm. and you can choose your rock bottom in your relationship. If you know that this person is not for you, but you still carry on the relationship anyway, it's leading to a point where there might be rejection or betrayal or abuse in some form. So rather than when you are checking out already mentally, having that conversation saying, I love you, but I'm not in love with you as a romantic partner anymore. At that point, sure, it's gonna be difficult, but you can still salvage a friendship. But if you extend it and now you go another couple months, another couple years down the line, and now you're cheating left, right, and center, and now you're hurting the other person, that is when it becomes very difficult to save what you might have. Mm. And it all comes down to compassion. If you have self-compassion, that's the main thing. But many of us don't. We're our own worst enemy. When we make a mistake, we say, oh, you stupid. But if a 10-year-old made that mistake, how would you react to the 10-year-old? Mm. You'd be kind. Mm. So most of us are conditioned to be our own worst enemy. So if we lack self-compassion, we won't have compassion for another person. I've been in a relationship where I was cheated on. And in that moment, we were driving back home and my partner just told me what had happened. And I had to ask myself in that moment, who do I want to be mm. in that moment? And when I got home, I opened my arms and I said, just give me a hug. And this person couldn't believe it. And she, we were both crying and it was a very intimate moment. Mm. And I said, how can I judge you? I've made mistakes. When I was in my 20s, I also messed up. And it's like, this is, we are born to make mistakes. We can't be romantic partners anymore. Yeah. But this doesn't, we don't have to suffer more than what we already are. Mm. And what grew through that is incredible vulnerability and again, it was holding that safe space to go, it's okay for people to make mistakes. Not okay to stay then romantic partners mm. because the trust was never going to be there again. Mm. But you don't have to punish somebody more than what they are already suffering. Mm. Wow, that's so profound. And I think it's so, so difficult for people to get to that space where they can, like the thought that I'm having as you're speaking, Devin, is just this complete acceptance of, yourself and the other person and I think we get stuck in or a lot of people get stuck in this I'm trying so hard to get this person to be who I want them to be it's obviously devastating to find out that your partner cheated on you but a lot of people will get into this but if we just work on it hard enough then they can become the partner that I want them to be um, and I'm not saying that there can never be any repair I think that that people depending on their situations they do find mm -hmm. a way to repair relationships and rebuild the trust regardless of whether it's cheating or you treating me disrespectfully or whatever betrayal you can go through, it's that acceptance that this is who this person is and this is what they're experiencing currently. It's not a judgment of, oh, well, they, they're just not good enough. It's more of a, I'm seeing you for 
who you are, what you're experiencing and what you're going through. And I'm accepting that that's okay. And not making it about yourself. Because yeah. I think in that moment, let's use cheating as an example. What's wrong with me? What didn't I do? Uh, am I not enough? Instead of it's not about you. That mm. I'm I'm an amazing partner. And in that moment, it, it had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with what that other person was going through. And the more we can stop making it personal, the more we can go how somebody treats you or what they say to you is not about you. It's about their own internal state and what they're going through. And hurt people hurt people. And I just want to frame a bit of a conversation around our parent wounds. Mm. A lot of us carry mother wounds and father wounds. More of us express our father wounds because it's okay to have daddy issues because men are strong they can take the battering but god forbid you have a mommy issue mm. and you've actually got a lot of men walking around who have repressed mommy issues mm. which is maybe why we've got so much gender-based violence because you've got men who have never expressed their own uh, anger or resentment towards their mother because you can't be resentful towards your mom. She carried you in your womb. Mm. We're taught to be shameful of having any negative association with our mother because she carried you. She gave birth to you. She sacrificed for you. Yeah. So a lot of men repress these feelings and anger towards their mother becomes anger and a hatred towards women in general, mm. which then shows by how they act or speak to women with complete disregard. And that, that feeds back that you've got to look at your parent. Any of us that, that feel like we weren't loved the right way by our mother or our father, you can look at them in two ways. One, you can see your dad or your mom as this person who didn't love you right, who's carrying the weight and the burden of your unmet expectations and all of your disappointments. Or you can look at the inner child of your parent. Think of your parent's 10-year-old self mm -hmm. and say, what did they experience? What hurt? What hardships? What pain? What suffering did they go through that has created the way that they treated you? Because mm -hmm. again, we repeat patterns and you'll find that hurt people hurt people. But again, for your listeners, heal people, heal people. And that's why it's oh, our responsibility mm -hmm. to heal and to grow because what we do for ourselves, we're doing for the general mm. general consciousness as well mm. and i think that that's so beautiful because i think it, it also just getting back to the whole people being scared to change and what that would mean for their relationship if you are growing your relationship will also most probably grow and so people get so stuck in i need my partner to change but a lot of times if you if you change yourself then naturally some change happens in the in the system or and, in the relationship. And they want to change too. If, if yeah. I observe my partner succeeding and growing, I'm going to want to do the same. If mm. I see this person is genuinely happy and not triggered and not affected as they used to be, I'm like, hey, I've, one of the core cause that I look for in a partner is I want what they have. Mm. And I'm inspired to be the number one thing. I've recently just met someone new and it's the early days and just, just like spending time together. And the biggest thing for me is I want to be a better person just by having this person's presence in my life. So mm. that, that inspiration to be my best version is the number one quality I look for. And a lot of people, we either look for what's rooted in ego, the looks, the money, the power, the influence, whatever yeah. it may be. But the stuff that's rooted in soul can't be seen. 
It's things mm. that are felt. Like, do they inspire you to be the best version of yourself? Are they willing to own their stuff and admit their shortcomings? Are they open to change and growth, which is very important? And those are the kinds of things that we should be figuring out when we're going on a date with a person, mm. not just talking about frivolous things like what they do, but we should actually be scratching the surface and digging mm. a bit deeper and asking, does this person have a sense of self-awareness? Because if you are dealing with a narcissist, they're going to have a very limited sense of self. Self, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Is there any other red flags that you can think of that, that you want to get back to, Devon? There are so many red flags, but I think the most important ones would be um, with, you, with you or the other person. So red flags in yourself. Red so, flags in yourself, but I guess that that's actually also red flags in the other person. Mm. So self for self, it would be that self-abandonment. Yes. The sense that you want to people please. Yeah. The sense that you need to work in order to be deserving of this person's love. And another red flag for me in, a, in another person is inconsistency. Mm. Because effort equates to interest. So if things are really hot in the beginning, first week or two, but then things die down, the person's not messaging, not really making effort, then generally the interest has left. Because the attention that they put into you, when a man meets a woman, and I say this to all girls, because sometimes they say, oh, he was so hot in the beginning and wanted to see me and making plans. Then all of a sudden didn't hear from him for four days. And that's a big red flag for me. Mm. Because when a man meets a woman, and he understands that he wants to have her as a romantic partner or wants to explore a friendship or having this person in his life, he will never make her feel or, or never make her question where she stands. Mm. So a big thing for me, if you're questioning where you stand in somebody's life, you don't stand anywhere. Mm. And at that point, it's not a, um, it shouldn't inspire you to have to work harder. That should be a clear, okay, this is not for me. Mm. I think though people are so desperate to get to a position where like I don't want to go through too many partners. I don't want to have to explore this too much. And and I think society has also mm. given us this idea of you need to like meet your partner, spend the rest of your life with them. And so that's what the ideal looks like. Instead of maybe sometimes it looks like you dating multiple people and at 40 or at maybe even at 50 only meeting someone that you're realizing this is now the person that I feel they tick the boxes for me. They allow me to be the best version of myself. I feel love. I feel respected. I feel growth mm. or safety, all of those things. Um, but there's this urgency. Mm. Maybe desperation is the wrong word. There's this urgency of I need it and I need it now. And I understand like people want to build a family. They want to obviously have consistency as well. But I think it's also so fulfilling to maybe freeing to realize that maybe I don't have to, I don't have to have it right now. People are so thirsty for love that they will drink poison and expect that to satiate their thirst. Mm. I'm 39 years old. And if I meet the right partner now, amazing. If I meet my right partner in my fifties, amazing. If I never meet a forever partner and I journey through this life as a bachelor, experiencing different people's energy, that is also amazing. There is no ultimate truth. Yeah. The truth is whatever you buy into and your belief system. So if you mm. believe that there's a rush, you're going to feel anxious and you're going to feel pressured. Again, we come back to acceptance and surrender. Mm. And I'm blessed to be an alcoholic addict because the two things I had to learn are acceptance and surrender. Yeah. I'm surrendered. I'm faith-led. And I know that God has a greater plan than me. So I don't sit at night praying, please bring me a partner. I say, may your will expand. 
And if part of God's will is for me not to have a partner and to travel the world and to be a speaker and an author and a teacher, I will be a father of nations and I'll teach and mentor. But mm -hmm. if I'm meant to find the right one, I know that anything that's meant for me will never go to someone else mm -hmm. and it will never get taken away from me. So if it's meant to be, it will happen. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like your journey with, with addiction helped you with a lot of these principles? Absolutely. And I feel rehab. I almost feel like every single person needs the 12-step program, even if you're not an alcoholic or an addict. Going into four months of inpatient rehab at the age of 33 was like taking every psychological principle and condensing it into living it for four months, mm -hmm. observing 50 other people who all had their stuff that they were dealing with, mm -hmm. 50 other addicts, alcoholics, people wow. addicted to prescription meds. It, it was amazing. It was like a boot camp in human psychology and for me I've just been fascinated with it ever since mm. even since young human psychology how we connect how we relate to each other that is what turns me on mm. humans turn me on mm. how we operate how we think our belief systems so for me the greatest gift and blessing is human connection when two mm. minds come together and you actually do click mm. and that can be as a friend as a colleague as a romantic partner there are so many ways you can love somebody and still not need them to be your romantic partner. Mm -hmm. And again, this, this separates from possession and ownership to I can unconditionally love another human being like my ex-girlfriends. Actually, at the time that we separate, when I'm no longer getting sex, when I'm no longer having my needs met by the other person, in that moment, I can choose whether I want to unconditionally love that person. Because by nature, we are conditional as people. Yes. But when they're not giving me anything, that's when I choose. Do I still want to serve? Do I still want to give? Because that's what love comes down to. Service, giving, and get, not just giving of things, giving mm. of your time, giving mm. of your energy, giving of your emotional capacity. The other thing, Devin, that I just want to touch on as well um, is I I've seen a few people also ask about codependency and how to be an individual on your own. So one person asked about being in a codependent relationship and knowing that they need to spend time alone, but it almost feels like intolerable to, to do that. And, and I'm wondering what's your thoughts about codependent, codependency and maybe just dependency versus independency and how we navigate that. Being dependent, independent is so sexy. It's a huge turn on. And you think of the honeymoon phase where there's so much chemistry, dopamine, norepinephrine. We're like, that person touches us and we're like, go wild. And that fades over a while. And the reason why that fades is we become accustomed to that person and we become used to them. And one of the ingredients to having eroticism is curiosity. Mm. But what happens when you're not curious about your partner anymore? If you've got a codependency, if you're with them all the time, how can you discover new parts of them? So if you think, when are you most turned on by your partner? It's when they're confident. It's when they're doing something that they're good at, which is why it's so healthy to be independent and have your own hobbies, your own things that you're doing, educating yourself, doing little short courses. Because if you grow, and this is why two people growing, you're constantly giving your partner something to be curious about because mm. they're discovering a new part of you. Whether you're five years, 10 years, 20 years into a partnership, if you can constantly be curious about your partner, it keeps that turn on, it keeps the chemistry there, it keeps the eroticism alive because you're constantly discovering something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it's it's so powerful and people don't realize that it it's also just in practical things. It's not just like I think people often think about emotionally being dependent, but but it's also about that I'm a whole 
separate individual with different interests, with different aspirations, with different things. And we often try and merge them. But then while we're merging them, we lose a lot of ourselves. 100%. And I think if you take a seven-day week, two days should be for me to do whatever it is that I want to do independently, whether that's going and doing a sport that I like, whether that's me going to my friends for a dinner or having a boys night, two nights we should do stuff together with others, two nights we should be doing something together by ourselves, and then one night should be like that draw card, whatever mm. we feel like doing, whether it's together with friends, with family. So I think it's it's so healthy to break down your week so that you're spending time together, time apart, and time doing stuff together with others. Mm-hmm. Devin, the, the, the last thing that I want to chat a bit about, but I kind of feel like that maybe even goes back to the self-abandonment and like I really love that term. I think it's a, it's a very powerful thing for people to think about, but the, one of the biggest things that people struggle with in relationships is trust. Mm. And so I'm wondering from your perspective, what are things that, that people can do to build trust and to like, what does that process look like? I think in the simplest way, it's doing what you say you're going to do mm. because you know, the the two biggest ways that we break down our self-worth is how we speak to ourselves and how we show up for ourselves. So I want to take that how you show up for yourself. Personal integrity is everything. So I'm going to use the snooze button as an example because in my workshops, I ask the room, I say, who hits the snooze button? And a lot of hands go up and I say, this is detrimental to your mental well-being because you've set a promise to yourself. You've made an intention the night before to wake up at a certain time. Mm -hmm. And before your feet have even hit the ground in the morning, you've broken a promise to yourself. And on a subconscious level, it's not even conscious, but on a subconscious level, you've created a program that says I'm useless and I can't do what what I say I'm going to do. So now if you can't do what you say you're going to do with waking up in the morning, how are you going to have that hard conversation with your partner? How are you going to make that cold call that's going to land you the next big client? Or how are you going to put yourself out there to have courage if you can't do the small things? Mm. The same way trust is built that if I say I'm going to do something, I actually do it. And I mean, we could write a whole checklist of people who have triple, quadruple layers security on their phone with passwords and faith. Like that that also, there's a lot that you can do to lose trust with a partner. Mm. Um, And it's simply, I think, if you show that your word is your bond, then there's no reason for your partner to to, um, not believe you. Mm. If If it's early stages of dating, there's no reason for you not to answer a phone call from another person calling you in front of that person. Don't have to put it on speakerphone, but now when the same person's calling you and you're avoiding taking their call, it's going to plant a little seed of doubt. Mm. So there's many ways that we plant seeds of doubt, but there's many things we can do to awaken trust in a partner. Mm. I know with my last partner, if somebody was calling me and we were in bed and it was 7 p.m. and we're sitting, I would answer it on speakerphone because whatever needs to be said can be said in front of my partner it's little things that we can do to earn trust Mm -hmm. but it is something that we need to to actively engage with and and i'm i'm hesitant to not say work on um because as you said earlier it shouldn't necessarily be so much work i think that's also a red flag if you need to work so hard to gain the trust and to secure the trust then then that's maybe a red flag that your partner also needs to work on their insecurities or um, figure out where Mm. that's coming from. I think a partner who doesn't trust is a bit of a red flag. Mm. And that's either because they themselves are projecting, so they're not trustworthy, 
or maybe they haven't healed from what they've gone through. So maybe they have come through. And I know I've got a different kind of thinking around this, but I don't want to have to fix what somebody else has eroded. Yeah. So I feel that in between relationships, it's very important that we do the work on ourselves because I don't want to carry my baggage and put that at the front door of my new partner. Mm. So if I was cheated on, which I was, I'm not going to go into my next relationship thinking that person's going to cheat on me. Mm. I'm going to give this new person a hundred percent of my trust. Mm. And then through their actions and behaviors, the trust will either increase and be amplified or will be eroded away. Mm. But as long as we break up with the pattern, that attracted us to that person in the first place, we know that we're gonna date a different person. But you get a lot of women who say, oh, I only attract narcissists. And you'll only attract narcissists if you're not identifying and breaking the pattern that attracts you to them in the first mm -hmm. place. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is your inner child work. A lot of that is reprogramming your daddy issues that mm -hmm. you had. And in a small way, let's say you had a father who was just mildly disapproving. So it's not a big T trauma. It's not abuse. He wasn't an alcoholic, but he wanted you to get the best marks in school. So what he taught you is that you've got to work hard to be deserving of my love now fast forward as an adult and the nice guy who just loves you for you you don't have to do any work your friends own that guy there's no real chemistry you're not sexually attracted to him mm -hmm. but the narcissist who makes you feel a little bit insecure now you feel you've got to work which is the same work you had to do for your father's approval and you're head over heels in love with this mm -hmm. person and the chemistry is through the roof mm -hmm. so again just becoming aware of patterns mm -hmm. is the most important thing that anybody can do mm -hmm. understanding self this is why the journey of self psychology and knowing who you are what drives you what turns you on what are you attracted to what are some of your own red flags when it comes to being attracted to someone because you can still feel turned on by somebody but know that they're not healthy for you yeah you absolutely. can still feel turned on and make a decision that you're not going to put yourself in a space where you're alone in a room with that person because you know it's going to lead to something else and then a chain reaction is going to take place being a responsible adult is knowing that sometimes you will have an attraction or not have an attraction but you have the power of choice. And it's again showing up for yourself. So it's it's showing up for yourself and saying, I know that this is not going to be healthy for me. And so I'm choosing to not do that. I guess though that it's it, it becomes so blurry because it's such a it's not a black or white thing always for people. And like maybe it can sound like it it should just be so easy to do. But I also think at the same time, actually it can be as simple as sometimes making the decision and dealing with the disappointment or the not knowing or the um, frustration of, I wish that that would have been someone that I could have had a relationship with, but I'm, I'm never going to know Absolutely. that never knowing is mm. really, really difficult. Mm. And it's the unknown because mm. we are attracted to that unknown. I think it's about getting to a point where you're attracted to what's healthy for you mm. and knowing what's healthy and knowing what's not. And I think distinguishing the two, that's the most important journey that we need to go on. Mm -hmm. And also sometimes you need to bump your head. I always say like, we can let go. Like if, if you're still processing the abuse from a narcissistic relationship, you'll know when you're ready to let go. Mm. you'll know when you're ready to let go of the situation you know when you're ready to choose a healthy partner and sometimes we just need to bump our heads a couple more times maybe the next person again will be a toxic cycle but you have the choice when you're going to break that cycle mm. no one else can choose for you we can be the friends looking in on a relationship and getting upset that the our friend keeps on choosing the wrong person and we know that's the wrong person but they need to bump their heads until they are ready to make that choice mm. until they can let go of that pattern mm. Mm, absolutely. Devin, is there anything else that you wanted to 
touch on that you came into this conversation wanting to to share with people? I feel that if love and relationships is an area where somebody is wanting to attract a romantic partner, we have so many resources available to us. We've got podcasts, you've got Esther Perel, you've got all mm -hmm. her books, mm. you've got uh, YouTube hours, millions of hours of YouTube that you can watch where you can become an absolute expert on any topic. So if you mm. want to become an expert of, on love, you can read Becoming the One. You can read so many books that can hire love, whatever it may be. If you do the work and put in the effort, you will start to become aware of your own stuff and you will start becoming mm. aware of when somebody is gaslighting or you know love bombing you. You'll pick up in that moment and go, ah, okay, this is what's happening. And it all starts with awareness and we all have the absolute power to feed our minds what are we what are we following on instagram this has become the most powerful device yeah. of the 21st century it can be used for a lot of evil but it can be used for a lot of good mm -hmm. when i'm sitting in traffic i'm one click away from my favorite podcast when i scroll through my social media it's jay shetty it's lewis house the school mm -hmm. of greatness robin sharma mm -hmm. uh uh, Dr. Shafali, mm. there's good stuff. I'm getting this injection of positivity and mm. inspiration. Mm. So it all depends. What do you consume? Mm. Devin, I wanted to just also mention that because you bought me a copy of your book. What is your book about? So in my book, I provide a simple three-step blueprint to mm. get over OVA, pain, challenges, and obstacles that keep you stuck. So I broke the book into three sections. Take massive ownership for your past and where you are today. Craft a vision for where you want to be. And then the last step is take massive action to get from where you are to where you want to be. And it's the process that I followed coming out of rehab. So mm -hmm. moving from addict alcoholic to building a billion turnover business in the luxury property space within four years. Oh, and if wow. I can do it, anyone can do it. Mm. I'm, an, I'm a D and an E student. There's nothing special about me. And genuinely, I say this, there's nothing special about me. I just followed a simple formula that I applied to every area of my life that has set me up for greatness. Mm. Because excellence isn't something we just wake up and say, I'm going to live in a life of excellence. It's your habits, rituals, and routines that create that life of mm. excellence. Mm. And we are all capable of doing it. And ultimately, like when the pain of staying the same is outweighing or your pain of wanting to change and that desire to change is greater than that of staying the same, you're going to equip yourself with the tools mm. and you're going to move forward. Mm. Where can people find, well, we, we mentioned now your social media, but where can people find like a copy of your book or Ex any exclusive out? books, okay. exclusive books, Amazon, Take A Lot, um, Audible, my mm. books everywhere. Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Devin, thanks so, so much for, for joining me. Thanks for sharing with us. I feel like there's so much that people will benefit from the tips that you shared, just the things to think about. Just I can hear how you break things down and very digestible. These are the three things that you look for. These are the things that you can be aware of. Um, and it makes it more doable for people. So I think that I'm hoping people are going to listen and they're going to feel maybe just a bit more hopeful in terms of relationships and also knowing that they need to, to, to know themselves, show up for themselves and love themselves. That's the last idea that I just want to plant is that between romantic partners, you're never single. You're in the most mm. important relationship that you will ever be in, which is the relationship with yourself. And the relationship you have with you, your level of self-love, the level of self-worth, the value that you see yourself bringing into the world, that will affect every single other relationship you have. Mm. You are gonna be with you until your last breath. People may come and go, 
but you are with yourself mm. for life and make sure that that relationship is the one that really counts. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's beautiful. Thanks so much, Devon. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to follow or subscribe on your desired platform. I will be so grateful if you're willing to take the time to rate this podcast so that you can continue to learn more about various topics related to your mental health and well-being.